This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome to the Webby Podcast, where we share the stories of the internet in more than five-word speeches. How am I on time? Oh, shit. No words. Just heart emojis. Thank God Conan got promoted. Sometimes geeks can be chic. <laughs> Here's your host, David Michelle Davies. This week, I had the chance to talk to one of the internet's most creative people, Refinery29 co-founder and executive creative director, Piera Gilardi. Refinery is one of the fastest growing fashion and style publications on the internets, and it's also a winner of more than five Webbies. Now, while I knew Refinery had been around for a long time, I was taken a bit by surprise when doing research for this to discover that she and her partner started the site all the way back in 2005. Just to put that in some internet context, that's the same year that Google Maps and YouTube launched. Uh, Musically, Beyonce was still in Destiny's Child, and it was also the year that Apple released the iPod Nano. Oh, the Nano. In these past 12 years, Refinery has not only covered fashion and style in an internet-y way, but I think has actually changed the industry it covers with its internetiness, if that's a word. I really enjoyed talking to Piera. I hope you'll like the conversation. Pierre Gilardi, welcome to the Webby Podcast. What was it about the world of fashion and style and the internets in 2005 that drove you and your partners to start Refinery? Well, thank you for thank you for having me. Um, so, the world back in 2005, as you, I, I didn't remember that Destiny's Child was still together. That really dates us. Um, I think more than anything else that you said. Um, but you know, back in 2005, um, when we started this site, we were really excited about um, celebrating independent voices. When we looked at um, what was what was happening online, there were a lot of um, you know, there wasn't the. The landscape was pretty wide open, but the players that were out there were um, mostly focused on big brands. And also when we looked at the publishing sphere, um, a lot of what was happening in fashion and beauty had a very um, specific lens on um, on what it was to be fashionable or beautiful. And we wanted to open that up. We, we, we were excited about personal style, about independent creators, and um, about creating a more inclusive platform that represented a wider array of what, um, you know, what style was, what beauty was. So that's, that's how we started back then. And it really felt like there was no roadmap. I mean, probably if you looked at what the Vogue site was back then, I don't think it 
was publishing regular content. Um, I think at the time, the biggest players were kind of style.com, which had runway images, um, Daily Candy, which was an email product. Um, and that was, those were the, probably the, the biggest players in the style space. So, so we came in and we focused on independent brands, independent voices, and, and looking at personal style. Do you think that like when you look back at uh, where the space was and, and now where it is today, aside from what you guys have done, do you feel like the other companies and the other brands and other sites have like actually evolved to the point where they're incorporating other voices and, and that stuff as well? Yeah. I mean, I think that's been the biggest um, and most exciting change in the space is um, when we when we started, we were we really wanted to create this inclusive platform. We wanted to change the way that fashion and beauty were talked about, um, kind of taking away this idea of rules or I think historically fashion was kind of designed to make you feel bad about yourself or make you feel less than. And we wanted to change that and make it uh, an expression of self, really celebrating individuality and people that were um, kind of living out loud and showcasing their creativity through um, what they what they wore and um, how they you know how they did their makeup and you know I think for us it was also this idea that style is more than what you wear. It's really kind of how you design your life and how you um, you know work on bringing your worldview to life through all aspects of your, of your being. Um, that sounds like really far out as I'm saying it into this giant mic. But um, so since that point, we've seen a lot of other um, media outlets changing the way that um, they've created content, you know, making things, um, making things more relatable to a larger audience, representing more diversity. Um, and that's, you know, for us, that's exciting. I think that's something that we've been dedicated to since we started. Um, and now, you know, n knowing that we've, we've been doing that and, and trailblazing that path in a lot of ways, it's, it's great to see other media brands and advertisers following suit. I mean, um, I send this inspiration cast to the company, um, once a month and, um, recently. Or what's that, what's that mean? A cast? I like just a call cast it cast of characters kind of thing? Or no, that? I call it an inspiration cast, like a podcast, except oh, okay, it's sorry. just Got like, it. I send out like, a, like nine things that are inspiring me at a given point. Um, but I did one probably two months ago and, and I said, I can't believe that these things are inspiring me, but I'm so excited to see Sports Illustrated and Axe Body Spray, um, representing more diversity. I think both brands, um, Axe has traditionally been so, um, you know, m this vision of like macho masculinity and Sports Illustrated being this vision of like extreme sameness in terms of what beauty is supposed to look like. Um, so in the past year, both of them did campaigns, the Sports Illustrated calendar, you know, um, issue, swimsuit issue had, um, you know, plus size women, it had an older woman, they really tried to broaden how they were representing women and their issue. And Axe Body Spray did a whole campaign where they included, um, you know, guys, they included like a voguing, Vogue dancer and all these other types of men and really showcasing um, the diversity and, and owning your owning your individuality versus fitting into a box. And for us, that's been, you know, for us, it's been about challenging convention, um, making people feel good about 
how they express themselves in the world and, and saying you don't have to fit into a box. And it's, you know, it's interesting if you think, if you, again, I sort of brought up those references just to place people in 2005, because of all the industries in the world, this is actually one of the ones that was, I wouldn't say the least impacted up to that point by the internet, but was still built on access, exclusivity, sort of like controlling perception, like very much like hadn't gone through the the change of from the top down to the bottom up that a lot of other industries had. Um, I remember, I think even around this time, like Prada, if you would go to the Prada site, it was the only thing on the site was a one photograph, which was like whatever ad was in vogue that month, you know? Totally. And the whole thing was based on not being that many bags to buy and, you know, not being cool enough to get into the party and even things like Fashion Week were, you know, whereas now they're much like sort of more accessible to people, very, very exclusive. You guys really took a sort of drive at that, right? At that that accessibility thing. Was it hard to convince advertisers that, was it hard to convince the marketplace that um, you could be stylish and have, you know, that the sort of point of view you guys had could be an accessible thing and not something that was so based on exclusivity? Yeah, that was a really hard thing to convince people of in the beginning because, as you said, fashion was designed to, to be exclusive, um, especially you know, luxury fashion, there was also such a huge divide um, between high end and low end. And that was something that we also challenged in the beginning that now seems, you know, like not a big deal. But but at that time to to mix a Prada with an, you know, with an H&M or a Target um, was something that you, you, you know, quote unquote, didn't do. Um, and we thought like, well, why, you know, why can't we look at Prada as this beautiful art object knowing that, you know, we might actually fill our wardrobe with items from a thrift store and Target um, and, you know, maybe one Prada piece that we save up for. And, and we felt like that was a much more modern way of dressing was the way that we were seeing our our friends dressing too. Um, but fashion was also this idea of aspiration was something that we wanted to change. Um, there's There's always been a lot of talk in fashion and beauty about something being aspirational. And I think that was very centered around you know, the aspiration would be to be tall, thin, and wealthy. And for us, it was like, we aspire to be like the best us that we can be. We aspire to be creative. We aspire to unleash our possibility and really like be the most us that we can be. Um, so we wanted to challenge that idea of aspirational. And um, in the beginning, it was really it was really hard with brands. I think a lot of brands were so reluctant to even get online, other than what you were describing for right, a long just time. Generally, being on the internet was yeah. the thing then, right? For the most part, like when brands, you know, went online and and launched a website, it would be like just this kind of splash page with an with an image or a list of a, a directory of stores, um, because they were really fearful. Um, I think with a lot of um, luxury brands, there's a fear of they they've done such they are such amazing um, you know masterminds of of creating strong you know timeless brands, and that meant a specific thing for so long. So it was it was incredibly scary for them to go online to understand what that meant. And then I think as We've all, you know, we're in the content business now. Every brand is also has to make such so much content to live across all these different social platforms. And I think for them to understand what that looked like when their when their whole model was built around scarcity um, and and keeping their message super super tight, um, that's 
that's been incredibly challenging. That's basically um, where we've helped so many brands is, is, is helping to support them and give them guidance as they move into this new um, this new world of 24-7 content. Yeah, I mean, so that's another thing. So uh, back to the sort of the history thing, 2005, we're sort of like in the world of like Facebook-ish starting, but not most people unless they're in college, I think yeah. at that point, probably not having access or maybe hasn't even really started yet. Um, so we're, we're really pre any sort of like mass distribution of social media. Yeah. It's people going to websites essentially. Um yeah, our how, newsletter. In the beginning, yeah. our newsletter was our biggest. Right, it's email, right? Yeah. So how how um, how have you seen that? Like, there's so many platforms now. You guys do. You, I think that one of the things people in the industry and and your readers and readers out there know is you guys do such a great job of figuring out what it is about the platform and what the techniques and the the way of telling a story in these platforms are that are native to it and doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your Instagram thing is different than where you are in other places and everything is visually always so great. Like Thank what you. is the, what is the sort of thread that you've used to, to figure that out? Because I, I think it's probably one of the challenges that all these brands that you're helping generally, you know, haven't figured out and most of the world hasn't figured out yet. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's the big challenge. I think the biggest creative challenges that we've faced, you know, when you, th- because a brand typically was so. Um, monolithic. When you think about a fashion brand, it would be about releasing that campaign and then placing those campaign images across different, you know, media and um, advertising points. Um, whereas now you do have to think about things, um, you know, and when we launched, it was like we thought about the website and then the newsletter was like a distribution for the website and everything was about driving traffic back to that central point. Um and now it's really about creating content that's native to where um, where an audience is and thinking about who is our brand for that audience? What does our brand look like for that audience? What are the behaviors that happen on that platform that we can creatively work with? And that's a totally different way of thinking about a brand. So that's been um, really interesting as well as for us, we do care deeply about having um, – a, a creatively strong unified brand that um, has like a strong aesthetic presence. And um, when when we started moving into, you know, the volume of content production that, um, you know, just has grown since, since we first started, um, you know, producing multiple pieces of content a day, that was, that was a big challenge was how do we, how do we create um, quality content at scale? How do we, you know, how do we do, 200 plus stories a day and have a have a level of visual excellence across those have a level of writing excellence across those and um, we've found some different you know that's to me that's what creativity is it's all problem solving and so it's been fun to figure that figure those things out and figure out how we can make our brand unified and flexible at the same time so we have some a bunch of different systems for that do you um you know, I follow I follow some of your different feeds, and one thing is clear is that, uh, and I think I read that you went to art school, and you definitely have a just from a personal level, it seems it seems like you have a a pretty strong technical pack capacity of of using sort of the tools to manipulate video and photos, which would make sense uh, given given your job. Uh, do you think though that the the sort of democratization of all these tools and the access that people have to them? that they didn't have even 10 years ago when you started, has that brought more creators and makers to the forefront? Has it, you know, like has, 
has having a phone and all this different software that like almost everybody can have, has that lifted people up and brought them closer to being able to make stuff for publications like you guys? Yeah, I think it absolutely has. I mean, when I talk to students or do any kind of, you know, mentorship, I always um, give the advice to figure out the the channel that works best for you and to experiment on there. I think social has really given creators the tool to almost create this digital sketchbook and be able to start a project and create a discipline of, you know, whether it's an Instagram feed and and you see someone's work develop over, you know, over a series of posts over time or um, whether it's a, a, a Tumblr or something else. I think it's, I see it almost, yeah, as this digital sketchpad where um, creators are able to practice and see what's resonating and um, really build a portfolio for themselves and a, a calling card for themselves that, um, they might not otherwise have. And it's it's always so interesting to me. Like I found this amazing, amazing um, illustrator on Instagram called John Lyle. And his work was so good. I was in, like, I felt intimidated to reach out to him. I was like, oh, I would love it if he would work for us. But I don't, I don't know. He's so, he's so good. And he seemed so like established because of his, you know, just like the way that his work looked. And, um, I reached out to him and he had, you know, he's someone, he just moved to New York. He wasn't, he wasn't super established in his career. He was so psyched to hear from us. Um, and that's like, that's often the case. Like one of our photo editors, um, has had a Tumblr presence since she was a teenager in Texas. And, you know, we had someone from CBS come into the office and when she saw Rocky there, she was like fangirling out, um, because, you know, the, the internet and the ability to put your work in those places, creates, um, creates a, a sort of like, you know, you can, ha- you can be internet famous right. even when you're a teenager in, you know, living with your parents. So I think it has democratized creativity in a really amazing way. And it's also allowed, um, you know, people like myself that are constantly looking for talent, whole new places. To- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. To uncover incredible creators. Right. And you feel it's like it. So it sounds like it's not as if you you go to these places and they're they've already made it by the time they're have the huge Instagram feed. It's like that's actually a place where somebody who's super talented gets discovered still. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. 
Hey there, it's Ben. And Nicole. From the Webbies. We wanted to let you know the nominees for the 21st Annual Webby Awards have been announced. Woo! And that means it's time for you, the listening, internetting public, to decide who wins a Webby People's Voice Award. Awesome. It's really easy. Just head over to vote.webbyawards.com and start voting for your favorites in every category from now until Thursday, April 20th. Winners are announced on Tuesday, April 25th. Wait, where do we go again? Vote.webbyawards.com. Vote.webbyawards.com. Go vote. Um, we we're talking a little bit about the sort of the voices of people that, or the people you guys sort of give voice to. Um, do you feel, and we talked about this a little bit, but I just want to talk a little bit more. Do you think that the fashion industry, um, like something like Fashion Week, do you feel like Fashion Week has evolved to sort of more closely resemble the rest of the world now, or is it still sort of a, 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 something that's less accessible to most people or that's not quite as accessible as you would like it to be maybe is the way to say it. Yeah, I think it's, I, I definitely. Not to pick on fashion week, but just as a, a live expression sort of yeah. of, of, the, of an industry. Yeah. I mean, I think fashion week has, has changed tremendously for a number of reasons. I mean, when we started Refinery Twenty Nine, Fashion Week was very much an industry event. I don't, I, I don't think it was exclusive to exclude the public. It was exclusive because it was for the industry itself. Um, and of, of course, it was. Um, you know, I think that fashion has traditionally not done a great job of representing diversity of many kinds. Um, so that was that was definitely the case when we when we first started attending and covering Fashion Week. Um, but it's it's changed for for many reasons. I think one, it's become much more of a public spectacle, um, one that's reported on heavily, where um, the run, the streets around Fashion Week are as much in the spotlight as the shows themselves, as street style has become such a huge phenomenon. Um, of course, social media has made Fashion Week. Um, much more accessible, not, you know, not physically, but just in terms of getting that inside real time look at what's, what's happening. Um, I think the industry, you know, has, has progressed some in terms of, um, diversity and representation. And now also because of the speed and the expectation of the public looking at fashion week through all of these new channels that make it essentially a live spectacle, uh, a lot of designers are thinking about, you know, whether it's the right time to start actually changing the whole cycle of fashion where what they're showing at Fashion Week is actually what people can purchase um, right in the moment. And some brands are starting to do that. So I think it's going to transform even more. And we've seen um, we've seen a lot of, you know, changes in terms of making it more um, inclusive. For us, that's always been important. So, um, you know, every Fashion Week we do an event that is open to the public, um, which has changed over time and um, now is this event that we launched last year called 29 Rooms that um, brings Fashion Week and also our point of view that fashion is is more than, um, than, than what you wear, that it's about style, it's about art, it's about expression. Um, so we create this kind of art and fashion fun house that um, lives in 29 different rooms that is free and open to the public for several days. So tell me a little bit more about that. I read somewhere that you're a big believer that events are a big part, should be, or that live interaction should be part of people's work that do stuff in digital or on the internet. Is that is that part of, is that true? And tell me a little bit more about the, um, the 29 rooms. Truth. 
So 29 Rooms is basically an art and fashion fun house that's uh, free and open to the public during New York Fashion Week. So we um, bring this whole kind of wonderland to life, 29 different rooms working with different artists across fashion, film, um, visual arts, and bring kind of our digital content to life in these 29 different spaces. So um, for us, that's really about creating a, a physical touch point for our audience, uh, allowing us to give them a different experience of our brand and tell our story in a, in a, in a different way. And it's also, you know, I think that in our digital world where we're constantly looking at our phones and are on our computers, it's, it's increasingly more valuable, especially for the millennial audience that we speak to, to have physical experiences and to, um, you know, to, to really bring those into their world. Um, but then at the same point, it's like you want to have the physical experience um, that's memorable, that's, um, you know, that's really special and unique, but you also want to be able to share that in your, your digital realm. So right. that's really what 29 Rooms is designed to create. It's a really magical, beautiful, um, physically immersive experience that, you know, where you're traveling through all these different rooms where one is different from the next. Each each room is a totally different experience. It expresses a different part of our brand um, and it's super memorable. But we really, when we thought about the event design, we also thought about the shareable component. We thought about how can someone come and be the star of this experience? How can they leave their mark? How can they take an amazing photo or video that um, they're proud to share with their audience and that... Um, you know, that also brings people that can't physically be there into this world. So, and there's a, I mean, and there's kind of a natural tension there, right? I mean, I just tell you from personal experience, you know, you've come to the Webbies, we produce the Webby Awards. One of the things we always struggle with is you have this thousand people that are in the room. You want to make sure that, and these are like awesome people who've like made incredible stuff. You want to make sure they have like a really good time, right? You want it to be a really great event. You guys do a great job with the Thank Webby you. Awards. I wasn't fishing, but oh, um, I know, I know you weren't, but I just have to say it that award shows are so boring and I, I know I sound like an annoying snob, but I, I really don't enjoy going to them. But the Webbies is always really fun, really entertaining. So kudos. Thank you. Thanks. That's, I mean, we've definitely pursued the, like, if we can only not make it boring and it's shocking <laughs> how far that'll take you. Um, but, uh, but then you have, you know, like over the years, the internet's become more popular. There's more people who don't come and are watching it at home or on YouTube. And, um, and so you're thinking about that too. And there, but there is this natural tension. You can sort of only totally satisfy one of them, you know? And, you know, I think that anybody, you know, has had that experience of going to like a concert or some other type of event where you're really enjoying it, but you want to like hold on to it for later. So you're taking the photo or maybe you're not or the right, I mean, it's a, it's a thing these days, right? Oh, like yeah. the mediated experience. And so how do you, I mean, and it sounds like you guys have really thought through that and that the 29 Rooms is really an effort to sort of bridge that. Um, how do you think about those two things? Is it just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Th that's real. The struggle is real. Um, yeah, I, w I was at Newport Folk Festival and um, I, Patti Smith was performing and I was so excited and, you know, I, I, I really wanted to see her. I've never seen her perform before. And, um, and right before she went on, um, the, this, the head of production came out and told, told us we couldn't take any pictures. And if we took any pictures, um, on any device, we would be escorted off the premises. And my first reaction was that I was like gutted. I was like, damn it. Time machine. Um, 
but then at the you know after the performance was over I was so thankful that I couldn't um take you know that I that I didn't have to be distracted by that um by that Did because people respect that generally I mean it was I guess Newport's probably a, it's an intimate enough of a crowd right or no yeah I mean it was it was just the um the the media section that, okay. that, that right. they it wasn't like the thousands it wasn't the thousands like okay. you could see i mean the thousands of people were yeah. taking pictures but okay. my where i was standing they told us we couldn't right um but i was so thankful about it because i i just was really present and she's such a present and incredible performer um it, it just made it that much more special for me um also i don't i don't even it wouldn't have it would have been like a boring photo anyway and like i just would have been fixated on trying yeah. to get this boring photo um so i was really thankful for that and it is you know i think that's the big challenge is kind of you know that we all face being so um constantly connected to our devices um whether it's getting you know a new york times alert right before you're going to bed and like just feeling like okay there's been a shooting and okay i guess i'm gonna go to sleep now or what you know how do i how do i respond to all this input and all this um also trying to constantly be creating content to put yeah out to our um i think it's, our- it's especially challenging sorry to interrupt you. it's especially challenging i think for people who are in or creative professionals or have a creative job um in that so much of that is filling up the well of inspiration you know saying it's a longer sometimes it's a longer term type of project and you want to like eliminate you know whether it's writing or music or yeah. film you want to eliminate distractions and do all these kind of things but there's so much opportunity to like sort of get inspiration using um you know it's your phone or whatever it might be um it's really you know i've read a lot about different people it's really a challenge yeah yeah i mean i get inspiration from both i get i'm like i said i get so much inspiration find so many um creators through um Instagram specifically, but other social media channels as well. Um, but then I also just really value that real life um, time and and you know traditional things like going to galleries and museums and um, just you know walking around, traveling, all of those things. It, it's it's it, it's. I think it's about the balance because we're not. I mean, I I certainly can't turn off the digital world um and still be able yeah. to do my job i need to yeah. really understand what's what's happening in the in the space um last two questions i think we'll see uh <laughs> you seem very productive i would say i don't know if that's true or not but I, there's a lot of output and uh it's the, it seems like just from you know following feeds of yours and stuff like you are you're doing a lot um, and it all looks really, really good, which is impressive. Thank you. Uh, how do you like? What do you? How do you do it? Like, is there any like? Is there? Do you have like a mantra that you live by to get so much done and get it out and have it all look so great? Is it? Um, is it specific tools that you use? You're really obsessed with that you want to share with people, or is it just all a secret? It's not a secret. I don't know if I. I don't know if I have a secret. Um, I mean, I think I have a hyperactive brain, and I have. S- I'm only scratching the tip of the iceberg. I guess that's not, that's like mixing expressions, but um, there's so much that I want to do and see and express in life. So I think that my output kind of comes from that inner desire mm-hmm. to um, express myself and express ideas and to create a lot of work um, through Refinery29 and through my own personal channels. Um, but I also... Um, 
I, I'm also always looking for, and I'm always, um, I, I have an art background and a photography background. So for me, it's fun to, um, to kind of have the outlet of, of social media to put out kind of my personal work, um, and also to express the things that we're doing at Refinery29 that I'm really excited about and proud of. So I don't know if that's really a secret. I mean, the, the, my favorite tools that I use are Evernote, pen and paper. I always have a notebook with me. And if I'm really, um, if I have a lot going on in my brain, I'm carrying like five notebooks with me. And that's how people know that I'm like really like... Like have a, have too many thoughts. Like it's run chaos. Away. Yes, it's, run away if you see her in the yeah, office. Yeah, runaway creativity. Yeah, our our creative director told me he's going to get a chain for me to attach all my notebooks to. Um, so I use Evernote. I use physical pen and paper. Um, I love like Snapseed for editing photos. Um, Snapseed. Snapseed. Okay. And I love all Google products. You guys have done a really impressive job at. Uh, Forming a company, forming a culture uh, around uh, a world that didn't exist in 2005, but exists now, and, and to some extent, like we talked about earlier, it's really helping new voices heard, helping thinking about new ways that people could express themselves, honoring the different types of ways people express themselves. What is the what is the part of the world today that's like not where you think it should be? Um, where you would like to see refinery like sort of push in and, and change? Wow, that's a that's heavy. a that's a big question. I yeah. like it. Okay. Um, you know, for us, it's really about being radical but relatable. And we've um, I think we've exceeded our own expectations of what um, what our brand can be in the world. And you know, we started with this focus on fashion and style, and have since grown to cover tons of different topics that are um, relevant to women and also breaking down this idea that women's media, um, I think traditionally people thought of women's media as being less than and 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 also that it had to be, you know, either style or substance. And we really see it as as being this, this mix that reflects modern women. Um, so for us, we, I think there's a lot of change that's still needed in the world in terms of making um, the world more equal and fair. And um, we've we've been trying to do that in a lot of different ways. We have this new initiative um, called Shatterbox that's kind of tackling the issue of underrepresentation of um, women both behind and in front of the camera in film in the film industry. Um, we recently launched Brawlers, which is a channel for women in sports. Um, I think the stat is that women are 40% of professional athletes um, and only 2% of media time is dedicated to women in sports. So we recently launched this channel Brawlers. And then I think, you know, I think there's still a lot of areas of um, inequality and for us, it's important to tackle those and to think about our role in media and how we can be a change agent. Um, and and as we expand our brand globally, there's obviously even more work to be done um, in other in other markets and areas. And I, for me, I'm just really excited too to to go into new mediums like um, like film and podcasts and um, just seeing the world changing so quickly and seeing the fact that. Um, the opportunity is just, you know, once you see the, the possibility there, the opportunities kind of like open up in all new ways. So I think there's so many different ways that we can express our brand. And because our brand is a more of a set of ideals than a product, um, that excites me to think about 
you know, our mission of inspiring and empowering women globally, how that can be expressed is kind of endless. Piera, thank you so much for joining us on the Webby podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love the Webbies. Big thank you to Piera for stopping by and joining us on the show. I got to check out Snapseed. Refinery has so much content, but I really recommend you check out some of their video series and their Instagram. They're really great. Our producer is Ben Wagner. Editorial help this week comes from Nicole Ferraro. Show music is Straight West by Casket Club. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, and leave us a review. We'll see you next week. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.